pastor. Uh, about once a year, we do a series on relationships, on marriage, uh, family, that sort of thing. And I would always start with this question. I'm, we didn't take any of those talks. I'm very grateful for that. I think there was some would uh, always ask this question. Do you want your marriage to emulate your parents? Do you want your marriage to emulate your parents? Do you hope that your marriage will look like your parents one day? And as you might imagine, only a handful of hands would ever be raised. Now, just kind of as an aside, if your kids were in the youth group, it was your kids that raised their hand. So, just kidding. That way there's not stress at the end. Did you raise your hand? They raised their hand, okay? And so this week, as I was preparing, I was trying to think, okay, what, what does God want me to talk about? Uh, I, I planned ahead. I thought I knew where we were headed through the, through the, the spring. And then right before Christmas, we sat down as a staff and, and all that went away. So it's the blind lead the blind right now. Taking it week by week. I know in a couple weeks you'll want to be here. We're going to have a guest couple here. They are going to talk about parenting. They have eight kids, so they know a little something about it. They're further down the, the line than us, uh, Mary Jo and I. And so uh, I know that's coming. I know next week. But this week, this, particular, this one particular week today, I just was struggling on what I wanted to share, what I felt like God was to share um, with us as a church. And I thought about this question. Do I want, do I have a marriage? Do I have relationships on a broader term? Because the text we're going to look at this morning is not just about marriage, but it's about relationships in general. Do I have relationships? Am I building relationships in the workplace? Am I building relationships in, in, in with my neighbors? Am I building relationships with my parents? Am I building relationships with my kids? Am I building relation, a relationship with my wife in such a way that my kids would want to emulate it when they grow up? That's a sobering question. But the Bible, the text we're going to look at today, gives us uh, insights, gives us some instruction on what it looks like to have relationships, to have a marriage that our kids would want to emulate. What does it look like to have a relationship with your partners at work, with your teachers, with your students that others around you would want to emulate? Philippians chapter 2 this morning, if you have your Bible, it's where we're going to be. Gives us some instruction, gives us some insight on what a relationship looks like that others would want to emulate. Now, before we jump into it, I guess I, I might as well put my cards on the table. Um, what it takes to have a relationship that others would like to emulate, uh, you're not good enough to achieve. I'm not good enough. I'm not that good. And you're going to see here in just a few minutes that that's exactly the case. But putting my cards on the table, uh, at the very beginning, the stuff that, that Paul tells us to do under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, you're incapable of achieving yourself. I'm incapable of achieving myself. 
in and of myself, my relationships are doomed to fail. And yours are too. If you're left to yourself. So luckily, Paul gives us this instruction and then he builds a foundation, builds a structure around it that allows us to have relationships that your kids want to emulate. Relationships that your partners at work, your fellow teachers at work would long to have. Fellow employees at work in the in the warehouse would long to have. Paul gives us a foundation, builds a structure around us that allows us to have exactly that. Here in Philippians chapter 2. So, jumping right in in verse 3. What does it look like to have a relationship, to have a relationship, to have a marriage that others want to emulate? Paul tells us, do nothing from rivalry or conceit. Do nothing from rivalry or conceit. And if you have different uh, versions of the Bible than the ESV, your words will probably say something different than rivalry and conceit. Because these words are, are very difficult to translate. When Paul was sitting down to write, he wrote, Do nothing out of selfish ambition or, or, or uh, uh, rivalry. And the word that he uses uh, literally is, is the word uh, i got to find it. Arethian. And basically it means this. Don't be a person who wants their world to revolve around themselves. Don't be a person who wants the world that they live in to revolve around their self for themselves. You've all been around a person like that. They're not interested. Maybe you're married to one. I don't know. You all are. We all are on some level. But some it's a little bit more obvious than others. You... In and of ourselves, myself, in and of myself, we want the world to revolve around us. And you've probably, you've probably talked to a person like this. They are not interested in the truth. The truth does not interest them. Their opinion is right because it's their opinion. They know what's right because it came from them. And Paul says... Don't be a person who is driven by selfish ambition, who wants the world to revolve around them, who has no interest in the truth. They only want their opinion to be known because it's their opinion. I, I put this in my notes. I said, practically speak, speaking, everything, their relationships, their conversations, their, their world, everything is about their pride and their reputation. They, the only thing that they're concerned about is how does this situation make me look? They want to save face. And that's their only, that's the only driving force behind everything that they say, everything that they do. Their relationships are a means to an end. Because everything's about them. And they have no interest in the truth. And Paul says, don't be that person. Don't do anything. From that perspective, don't have, don't live in a world that revolves around yourself. Or don't even desire to live in a world that revolves around you. Don't seek selfish ambition. And we all do. Where does that come from? Well, Paul tells us where it comes from in the, in the very next word. 
or conceit. Back to the other one, uh, Jubilee, I'm sorry. The, the next word says conceit, and the word that he uses there is keodoxion. And basically what that means is a, a person who, uh, uh, the, not only are, are they all about them, but they want glory for themselves. Uh, literally, the word keodoxion means this. A person who is starving for glory. So Paul says, do nothing out of glory, hunger. It's, it's the natural result of a person who wants the world to revolve around themselves. You want the world to revolve around you. You're a selfish person. Everything's about you. The reason that you're doing that is you are starving for glory. You want people to notice you. And we do it in all different ways. Some people want the world, want other people to notice them. So they buy the biggest car that they can, the most expensive car that they can buy. And other people want the exact same thing, but they buy a Prius. They can go a thousand miles on a tank of gas. And they do it for one reason. Now, if you drive a Prius, I'm not picking on you. I'm not I'm sorry to even pick a car. <laughs> but you do it for one reason. You want everybody to think more highly of you. And we live in an age that this is magnified to the tenth power. With YouTube and Google and instant fame, instant wealth. This is magnified. We walk around, we live with, we work with people who are constantly desiring for the world to be all about them. And the reason that they do it is they want their life to matter. You see, above all else, that's our desire. We want to know that we've made a difference. We want to know that we matter. We want to know that people remember us. We are starved, hungry for glory. I was on an airplane one time. And the stewardess, the flight attendant, was coming down the aisle. And a guy apparently was right across the aisle. I didn't hear what he asked for. But apparently he asked for a, a certain drink. Dr. Pepper, Coke, it doesn't really matter. And the, the flight attendant gave something else to him. And his response was absolutely insane. It, 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 there was no... The response was, there was no correlation between his response and what had happened to him. That he'd gotten the wrong drink. His response was absolutely insane. And this week, I remember that he threw his drink in the air, get everybody around him wet, soaked with the drink that he had been given. And it was not because he got the wrong drink. It was because he thought the people around him and the stewardess, the flight attendant, didn't think that he mattered. His Request was ignored. He didn't matter to the person. And the result was his response was absolutely insane. And when I read this, it made perfect sense. He wants to matter. He wants to know. At the end of the day, he has worth. And he'll do anything. His response will be anything to make sure 
that that happens. So, Paul tells us our natural inclination, our, that we naturally lean in this direction. And that's this. We're all about rivalry and conceit. We're all about selfish ambition and glory. We all want the world to revolve around ourselves. And we want to know that we matter at the end of the day. And in our household, in Smith household, if there are four different people, Scott, Mary Jo, and Grayson, and Molly Kate, and all of us lean in this direction, and your household is the same, I'm only picking on mine because I can, but your household is exactly the same. You have four, five, ten people in your house who lean in the direction of selfishness, who lean in the direction of wanting to know that I matter, ultimately, that my life has worth, and everything, I'll do anything to make sure that that happens. I'll go to any lengths to make sure at the end of the day, when I breathe my last breath, that I remember, I'll do anything to make sure that's the case. Your relationships are set up to be failures from the very beginning. And so Paul writes saying, you come, you lean in this direction, Scott. You lean in this direction. You want your life to matter. You'll, you, you want... The world to be all about you. And you will marry somebody. You will have kids. As a means to that end if that's the case. If that's what's necessary. You'll use your spouse. You'll use your wife. You'll use your husband. As a means to that end. And that's setting up your marriage. That's setting up your work relationships for disaster. But Paul says, we lean in that direction. Our sin leans us in that direction. We are selfish at our core. We'll do anything to make sure our lives matter. We're starved for glory. We're hungry for to be needed. We're hungry to matter. And Paul says, don't do it. If you want relationships that last you want relationships that want to be emulated by your kids? Don't lean in that direction. Instead, in humility, count others more significant than yourselves. Verse 4. Let each of you look not only to his own interests, but also to the interests of others. So, Paul says... You, are, you naturally lean in the direction of selfishness. You naturally lean in the direction of, 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 of glory, hunger. You will do anything. You're, you will make a fool of yourself so that you'll be remembered. That's where we lean. But Paul says, instead of doing that, put other people before yourselves in humility. He makes it sound so easy. But even on my best day, I'm only the most humble person I know 50% of the time. Paul knows that you aren't that good and neither am I. You are not that humble in and of yourself and neither am I. Paul says, be humble. Put other people before yourself. And here we sit in our sin, redeemed, but yet battling sin. 
And our natural tendency, our natural, natural inclination, we naturally lean in the direction of wanting the world to revolve around us and using the people in our lives as a means to that end. That's where we lean. Naturally. In our sin. With our deepest desires being, I want to matter. So, Paul says be humble. And then he tells us, he says, this is where you need to be. But he understands, we can't get there in ourselves. We are, sin has infected and affected us way too greatly. So he gives us the power to be able to put other people before ourselves in humility. Look at what he tells us to do in the next verse. Have this mind among yourselves, which is yours. If you know Christ this morning, this is yours in Christ Jesus. Paul tells us that if you've been redeemed, you have been given a new mind. And it's the mind of Christ. And he tells us in that, in the mind of Christ, in this new mind, in this new life, in this new heart that you've been given, you have the power, you have been given access to, to the power to put other people before ourselves. To no longer seek selfishness. And glory. For ourselves. Your new mind, the mind of Christ, gives you access to the power to put other people before yourself. And if you left it right there, I would go, okay. But there's, there's just something missing. And the next verses give us an, an insight, an awesome insight that we have only been asked to do, commanded to do, what God has done Himself, even though He doesn't even have to. Look at it in the next verse, verse 6. Who, though He, that's Jesus, was in the form of God, did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped. Verse 7, but made himself nothing, taking the form of a servant, being born in the likeness of men. Verse 8, and being found in human form, he humbled himself by, the, by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. So here's what Paul says. Don't, be, don't seek selfish ambition. Don't use people as a means to an end to prop yourself up. Don't use your, your marriage. Don't use your spouse. Don't use your kids as a means to an end to make yourself feel more important than you should. Instead, take the mind that you've been given in Christ when you gave your life to Christ. Take that mind and in that power, put people before yourself. And when you do that, you're following the example of the Son who had a desire for you and I to have a relationship with the Father. And the only way that that can happen is He humbled Himself to the point of death, even death on a cross. And so Jesus says, I want you, you wretched, lowly sinner, Scott, I want you to have access to the Father. And so what I'm going to do is I'm going to humble myself. I'm going to humble myself to the point of death, even death on the cross, so that you can worship the Father. So that you can have access to the Father. 
And then this week, the coolest thing I've, I've seen in this text, I've read this text a hundred times, but I never saw this before. The next verse tells us what the Father does in response to that. Verse 8, or I'm sorry, verse 9. Therefore God, the Father, has highly exalted Him, that's Jesus, bestowed on Him, Jesus, the name that is above every name. Verse 10, that at His name, of Jesus, every knee will bow, in heaven and on earth, and under the earth. Verse 11, and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord, to the glory of God the Father. So the Father, in response to the humbling of the Son, says, you're going to worship Him. You worship the Son. You bow before the Son. You worship the Son. Every uh, every tongue, every tongue is going to confess. Every knee is going to bow. Every tongue is going to confess. Not to the Father, but to the Son. Now let me just kind of step away from this for just a second. And just be, make sure there's some clarity. I am not suggesting, and I don't think the Bible teaches, that there are multiple gods. But they are one in deity. Unique in practice and in personhood and in form. So, you have the Godhead, the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. One in deity. All one God. Yet unique in personhood. In the way that they function. You may say, Scott, that doesn't make sense. And I would agree. It doesn't. I don't understand it. But I know it's true. One in deity. One in the Godhead. Unique. In the way that they function, unique in personhood. And that's exactly what this text is teaching. You have the son saying, I want you to have access to the father. I want you to have access to my dad. And the way that that's going to happen is I have to humble myself to death, death on the cross. And so he does that. He humbles himself to be killed on a cross. So that you and I can have access to the father. To have a relationship with him. To worship him. And then we come to the Father for worship. And He says, you're not going to worship me. I want you to worship the Son. I want your knee to bow to the Son. I want your tongue to confess to the Son. And then the Son is humbling Himself and saying, I want you to have access to the Father. I want you to worship the Father. And you come to the Father and the Father says, I want you to bow to the Son. I want you to worship the Son. And then you have all throughout eternity, the Son humbling Himself to the Father. And the Father humbling Himself to the Son. And Paul comes before us and he says, Your your natural inclination, our natural inclination, is to get all the glory for ourselves? You want the world to revolve around you? And you've been saved by a, a God who has throughout eternity been humbling himself to the will of the other. And then you come along, Scott, and you want the glory to be about you? Seriously? When you see the one that you worship, the one that you desire to praise, doing exactly the opposite, humbling himself to the will of the other God, of the other in the Godhead. And he says, don't be that person anymore. When you Gave your life to Christ. When Christ came into your life, forgave you of your sin, you got a new mind. And now you can do what you could not do before. And that's put other people in front of yourself. And here's the cool thing. 
And you know this. This isn't revelation for you. You know this. In doing that, there's intrinsic value. Jesus is humility. Proved your worth. Completely outside of yourself. Had nothing to do with you. Had nothing to do with me. Jesus humbled himself because of our worth in Christ. So Paul is just reminding us, you have worth. And it has nothing to do with you and nothing to do with me. We have worth, Paul says. And the evidence is in Jesus humbling himself to the point of death, even death on the cross, so that you can worship the Father. And the, there's evidence when you come to the Father, he says, worship the Son. You have intrinsic value. You are worth more than you could ever imagine. And the evidence is in the action of the Son and of the Father. And look at what happens in all of that going on. In the last line of the text that we're looking at. Can you get back to that jubilee? If not, I can. The, the, the Father is glorified. The Father is glorified. In all of that, the Father gets the glory. The only one who deserves it. Now, I've been thinking about this verse all week long. Meditating on it, looking at it. And last night, we were on our way home from dinner. I just stopped by uh, a store. Mary Jo ran inside and it was me and the kids. And Grayson was uh, a little bit upset. And so I... Um, did the, the humble thing, sarcasm intended, and I began to film him with my phone as he did, as he threw his little tantrum. And I did that because I'm selfish. I used my position as dad as a means to an end. I used my relationship with my son as a means to an end so that I would feel better about myself. And I've been thinking about this verse all week long. Humble yourself. Humble yourself. You have a new mind, Scott. Humble yourself. Follow the example of the son. Follow the example of the father. And then my son throws a little tantrum, something that happens regularly in your house and in mine. And I use it as a means to an end to make myself feel better. Out of selfish ambition and vain conceit. Because I want to make sure that I matter. I want to make sure that he remembers I'm in charge around here. Not him. And I want him to go to bed tonight remembering Dad matters. I better make him happy or my life is miserable. And I had to put him to bed Apologizing for my selfish ambition and vain conceit. 
I share with you that story because I want you to remember. I want us to remember. Humility in your life cannot be mustered up. Humility, you're not that good. And neither am I. We will fall and fall and fall and fall. But you have been given a new mind, given a new, given power in Christ to put other people before yourself. The world doesn't have to revolve around you anymore. You don't have to go seeking vain glory. A mirage of self-worth. It's found in Christ. Let's pray. Father, it's so easy to read. And on this side of eternity, impossible to do perfectly. That's why I'm thankful for grace. In Jesus' name I pray. several times in the scriptures where Jesus uh, says I came to do this or I came for this reason in one of those he says don't you know that the son of man came not to be served but to serve to give his life as a ransom the one who deserves all the glory chose this path for us he became the pioneer just to show us the way it doesn't matter our position our place when we become servants, we become servants of each other. Just thinking, you know, we've got teachers who, who teach our kids back in there while we're doing this. And we have an attorney who makes my coffee on Sunday morning because he loves people. And uh, that's the body of Christ, just exercising just what Scott was talking about. So let's draw near to God and He will draw near to us. Let's draw near to the pattern established for us in Jesus. When He was equal with God, He humbled Himself and served others. Let's sing this song as a sealing us and just worshiping the Lord. Deciding that our lives are going to change because of this text this morning.